Hey folks, it's your old buddy John. Thanks for listening to Saul Searching on the FYIZ podcast feed. In this episode, you'll hear my friends Becca Eaton and Jonathan Eaton come back to discuss the eighth episode of Better Call Saul's sixth and final season, which is called Point and Shoot. This episode was written by Gordon Smith and directed by series co-creator Vince Gilligan. Also, just as a production note, you should have heard this episode a full two days ago, but I am sick as hell. I don't really feel great today, but I'm better, uh, better enough to, um, you know, review the audio and export this for your listening pleasure. So, you know, wish me luck. And now, here's Saul Searching. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan and Becca, for coming on uh, the show again. I mean, I think uh, I'm going to be turning to you guys a lot during this this last batch of episodes. We're a support group. Exactly. <laughs> who, who are the right people to uh, to shepherd me through this difficult time? Uh, maybe the same people that I think you guys were on the last one. Um, so the last time we talked, we had just seen the the horrible uh, fate of of Howard Hamlin, and you know, and yes. that was long, a, a long six weeks uh, waiting for this return. I felt. Oh God! Was that just six weeks? I think it was right about yeah. That oh well, yeah, it just it was a long six weeks, and it was also yeah. like we had just like vacation stress and other like work yeah. things happening, so it did. It felt like a year has gone by <laughs> since that episode. But um, I mean, the main thing there is supposedly this episode, like the. The way they talk about it, it was never planned that there would be a break in the middle of the season. They, they had an episode seven and then an episode eight. Yeah, but I read then about that. when they were scheduling these episodes, there's all kind of reasons why they do that. Like they'd like to break up a season now. And I think we talked about this previously where it helps with putting you in into uh, like Emmy consideration periods if you have a season broken in half like that. And also Bob Odenkirk's heart attack occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While shooting the opening scene of this episode. That's when oh. he had the heart attack. Oh, shit. It was really. Jesus. They're sitting on the couch, and Lalo was talking to them. And that is when th- th- they said they got that part shot. They got Jimmy and Kim, they're part of that scene where they're on the couch shot. And they came back two months later after Bob Odenkirk had his heart attack and recovered and shot the reverse of Lalo talking Whoa, to them. What a scene to. <laughs> Like I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. Yeah. I yelled my heart several times watching this episode oh in stress. Well, the really crazy thing is, uh, you know, supposedly Bob Odenkirk, more or less, it's one of those heart, it's like, it's one of those things where if people aren't there to to do some work on you right away, like luckily they had health professionals around because um, mm-hmm. or medical staff of some sort on set because he basically died and they brought him back. Oh, and, God. Um, Good and Lord. people knew that on the set, Patrick Fabian, who played Howard, was on the set, and people knew that Ray Seahorn was on the set. But supposedly, they kept it quiet that Tony Dalton was on the set because even though this uh, is a story about Bob Odenkirk's health, uh, it's too much of a spoiler to say Lalo, Howard, Kim, and and Jimmy are ever in the same room. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That would definitely have. I don't know. Spoiled. It yeah, just, I would it, not have expected just Howard have been like, When's and that going to happen? Yeah. Lalo to be in the same room yeah. until it happened. And then um, the actor who played Lalo, they asked him on, in an interview about the scene, and he said he had another two months to work on those lines. And he said he said that monologue uh, every different way he could have. That he normally wouldn't have had the time to do that amount of work on the scene. And I think now it's like, okay, I don't necessarily need to rewatch the scene to imagine that is an extremely 
beautifully acted scene. He is so calm and cool and collected. And even the music on the score is telling your nerves to be jangled. And you're watching, you're watching Jimmy and Kim go through this terrible experience. And, and Lalo is just giving him directions. Like he's giving him directions mm. to the store or something like that. <laughs> it was so uh, casual and that made it more terrifying, which is kind of his thing. But yeah. Yeah, just it's fucking directions to what they were going to do <laughs> was, it would have been funny if I wasn't so stressed. I, watching I it. like Lalo. I liked Lalo, I should say. I, I think he's a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think there's a humor to him that makes me feel somehow like I'm in good hands, even though he's the devil basically. But like in that scene, <laughs> um, I found it was so, cause there was so much speculation about like, well, what's his plan really for, for Jimmy and Kim. And I think I thought it's going to be something simple but it's 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 it also wasn't clear that he would ever do what he did in this episode. You know what I mean? Like you're picturing like what kind of yeah. plan does he have for them? Not that he's orchestrating this huge, chaotic, confusing across t- sending people here to draw people here, and like he's really trying to discombobulate Gus's whole operation with this move. He doesn't really think whoever he sends over there is going to succeed in killing Gus. He just thinks it's going to draw the attention. Draw his men right. away. Yeah. yeah. But so that was his big plan. I guess if anyone's listening to this and they did not watch uh, or don't know what we're talking about, which is unthinkable, we're of course talking about the fact that at the at the end of uh, the break, an ep- end of episode seven, Howard gets killed by Lalo in Jimmy and Kim's apartment. And this episode picks right up with that, that horrifying moment. Um, and... Uh, I mean, it really it really paid off the fact that your nerves were jangled by that scene because, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I've seen a show. I don't know how long it was before I realized I need to breathe. <laughs> you know? At yeah. one point, I heard myself say out loud, there's never been a better TV show. So I know I was breathing at that point. But aside from that, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know when I breathed. There was a shot where the camera was attached to Jimmy's chair when he was tied to it mm-hmm. and they were scooting him around. And I, was, I just said, God damn it. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like the camera was mounted on the chair like half a foot away or yeah. so, something so that you got like, you're seeing the most of the chair, but it's moving with. I want to know like... I want to know what they use. Like, I, I want to know if they use GoPros because it's the only thing I can think of for so many of these shots. And GoPros have gotten really great lately, like quality wise. Well, and a lot of good cameras have also gotten smaller. Yeah. But just like the where they put the cameras, I'm just thinking like you couldn't put a camera on a chair unless it was tiny or not even tiny. It was just light. Mm-hmm. It has to be like the the places they put the cameras are the cameras have to be so small and so light to be able to like move the way they do and like fit in the places that they fit like pipes or whatever that people are like reaching into. I'm always just thinking in that when we watch the show, I'm like, what, how many cameras do you guys have? Like, what are they? What are you using? Well, actually, you know, the technical side of this show is something that I I think about often and knowing I was going to be talking to the two of you who work with film and, you know, or video, I should say, I guess nothing's film anymore. Um, But, not unless you're Christopher Nolan. But, um, but that you work with, you know, this kind of technology. It's like, the, I think that obviously cameras have come such a long way in terms of that aspect, the, the resolution, the size, mm-hmm. but also the ability to shoot in low light conditions. I feel like this episode was just a, a, a visual poem to how beautiful low light photography can be nowadays. I mean, this there are some mm-hmm. moments in this episode that are just incredibly rich with detail and 
almost completely dark, you know, except for certain, like that whole section that takes place in the laundromat uh, later um, is so dark. And yet when you do get like, say like um, uh, Gus standing there, it's like Giancarlo Esposito's, like his skin tone is so rich and detailed and his face is, I mean, everything about it is like, I mean, of course we know that they're, they're excellent at all that stuff on this show, but this episode really felt like they were kind of strutting that uh, aspect of like, you know, they're kind of showing off just how beautiful yeah. they can make these images that, you know, just a few years ago, I don't even think you would have even been able to shoot that way. This episode felt like a horror movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That that scene, especially when the only light you can see is from the video camera and mm-hmm. you don't know where Lalo is yet. So much of this and, and just the way people were acting, the way Kim was acting when she got to Gus's house and was freaking out and didn't know what was going on and they're trying to calm her. So much of it just felt like specifically horror movie tension. There were two shots in this episode uh, that were amazing with like darkness and light. And one of them was what you just said, the uh, at right when Gus shoots uh, Lalo and the only light you see is the light of the video camera. And then there is a shot when uh, Kim walks up to Gus's house and rings the doorbell and you see the light through the key, the people, and then you see that light go away. So, you know, someone's there. That was incredible. So uh, that's, I think something really interesting to bring up because it's something that I've complained at me. And I think a lot of people, and I've read it this online specifically with like directors of photography, uh, complaints about, the amount of darkness in movies and TV shows lately. And it's like what you're saying, uh, cameras and technology have gotten so good. And it's, it's specifically like digital technology, like the, the, the differences between shooting digital and shooting film is you can, you can shoot a lot darker on digital than you could on film. because you can pull more detail out of the blacks and the darks uh, in digital video than you can if you shoot on because you shoot darkness on film you just have darkness and you can't pull anything out of it because you're not you know it's the exposures and all that kind of stuff but it's interesting because this show is shooting really really dark but like john you're saying you're getting details out of it like you're getting color and detail in the darkness so even though it's still super dark you're still able to see everything as opposed to something I was just complaining about recently, which was the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, specifically like the last episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. At one point I was like, I could, we could just be watching a black screen. Like I have no idea what's going on. Like the, the, the I think it was Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fighting at night on a planet in darkness. The only thing you can see is lightsabers, but like it kept cutting between that. And then uh, like, the Inquisitor lady running after Luke in the dark also. And it was just two scenes that were both in like almost pitch black and we're watching it. And just like, I can't, I can't fucking tell what's going on at all. And I feel like that was an example of it being done really poorly, which is funny because it's star Wars and they've got Disney money, but on average, I thought that last fight in that last episode was great, but I do think the visual, the visual realization of it, was like boring. You get the feeling that they aren't striving for 
excellence when it comes to the way the effects are being pulled off. And it's like, this is one of my, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Star Wars shit. And even more so these days, I think the Marvel stuff is like the movies are keeping me interested. But they they don't go for reality that much. Like I remember when when Lord of the Rings was coming out and like Gollum, there was a big, a lot of effort made to make him this creation that you looked at on screen and you were like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen anything like that before. And I just feel like Marvel and Star Wars, they don't really care about creating that sense of wonder. It's more about achieving a general average mm-hmm. level of effects quality that fits with the way they're shooting it, which I think means they're shooting it with more boring lighting or as you were saying, kind of murky imagery. And it's like, I don't know why they can't just close the deal on making those feel, making that stuff feel more like they care about, like I said, the excellence of it. Like for instance, watching Better Call Saul, you feel like every attempt was made to make this look excellent, yeah. feel excellent, sound excellent. And I just don't think that, I don't think that they're doing all that stuff. I don't think it has to be like cinematically brilliant. I think you can have like a house style for these kind of pulpy adventure stories, but I still want them to try, if you've got a CGI character, try to make me believe it. If you've got a CGI environment, try to make me believe it. Don't just be like, well, we're all sort of accepting the general average level of this. And I think that Obi-Wan series had some really lovely moments. And then the next shot would be something murky and ugly. And I'd just be like, why are, did they not know this is Star Wars? This <laughs> yeah. is supposed to be like the peak of all of this stuff. I feel like they do know it's Star Wars, and I honestly feel like they've gotten to a point with Star Wars where it's like, people are going to watch it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Let's just all right. crank it out anyway. Becca, thoughts on Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have watched it unless John wanted to watch it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's how I feel so about it. So the Elon McGregor aspect of it wasn't enough to pull you in without without a, a I mean, he a is a very it. nice looking man and mm-hmm. uh, but I <laughs> it's very been handsome with so, a beard. Yeah, looks great with a beard. It had been so long since I had seen him in a Star War that I was like, <laughs> is that what he fucking sounds like? I don't remember him talking so I slow and fancy. Well, you said, yeah, that's what he sounds like. Well, and some... I was like, well, I guess I forgot. It sounds dumb as shit. I feel like over the course of that show, his voice changed a couple of times. He like... just sounds like such a slow, fancy man. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't remember that being the case. And I I love the, you know, the, the little Leia spoilers for Obi-Wan, but... <laughs> She was great, and I didn't care about any of it, really. I don't know. I just wouldn't have watched it, if not for you. I'm I'm at the point now, and even with Marvel, which I also have gotten so much more into Marvel than I thought that I would, um, but I'm just not going to watch all of it. I just don't have any desire to watch all of it anymore, where it felt like that for a little while, and then... Some things are so hit or miss that I just don't want to spend my time on everything. Yeah. You know, right. like we've watched full series of Marvel stuff that were really good and some stuff that I didn't give a shit about at all. And there's other stuff coming out and I just don't feel like I have to consume it all, but probably will if you want to. But I don't feel like I don't feel a personal obligation yeah. to consume it all. Like Star Wars doesn't have that hold on me anymore. No, I, I'm with you. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't. I probably would have watched like one episode of Obi Wan and been like, eh. That urgency, that specialness has gone out of it. Yeah. You know, where I, it's I like, was just gonna say I'm cooling on it, which is a bummer. Like I don't yeah. want to cool on Star Wars. Well, they just need to I stop wanna... making so much of everything. Yeah, seriously, like all of it, they need to stop making so much of it. And for real, like just, I feel like. The Star Wars shows, especially, uh, 
we got to get back to talk about Better Call Saul. But like the Star <laughs> Wars that? shows, there's something other than Star Wars to talk about. Started <laughs> out so good and like prestige. Like the Man- Mandalorian, the first season, I feel like I could say is like prestige TV, and it did the whole the LED, you know, soundstage shit. Like looked amazing it was all amazing it was new and i loved the mandalorian i still do i thought the second season was great See, i i think people overrate the mandalorian but i also agree the mandalorian had some felt like it was staking something out that was well, new, new and fun and and tv sized in an appropriate way yeah the problem like it didn't look as last... good as the movies to me but it felt like they had found a nice pulpy way to say this is what a star wars tv show is like yeah then they they doubled back and brought in i mean it's as cool as it was to see luke pop up it was like, well, now we're doing Skywalkers again. Yeah, now we're back into the same mythology. Why can't we move beyond like even these the Boba core... Fett stuff? I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like, how yeah, much it's hard time to care. do it's we really need hard to spend care. on this? Yeah. And like, if I've already seen it and it looked better, why am I seeing it now and it looks like garbage? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Better Call Saul is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Last time on Better Call Saul, Boba Fett uh, <laughs> defeated the crime lords. On Tatooine. Well, and shows like Better Call Saul are now what we hold other shows up to. Yeah. I'm now th- wanting everything to be as good as it can be. And not yeah. just this. I'll, I I do think there's a place in my heart for B movies and for schlocky stuff that knows it's schlock. I just don't put Star Wars in schlocky stuff that knows it's schlock. Or even like terrible yeah. stuff that's like so bad it's good. Like we recently watched Moonfall and I loved it because it was horrible. <laughs> it was like... Honestly, I think it's the dumbest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. We should watch it again tonight. There's a super moon. <laughs> so, we the, might summon the moon. The amount of times If you they, watch it on a super moon night, Becca, the movie becomes too powerful. Oh, my God. <laughs> the amount of times they say We're going to pull the moon down to Earth. Like, like Oscar winner Halle Berry looks at, like into the camera, basically, and she's like, we've got we've to gotta beat the moon or some bullshit. Like, it's the dumbest shit ever. Um, but then, yeah, it's like Better Call Saul succession severance like these are shows that have been made in the last like year like still in a pandemic and they're fucking incredible so yeah star wars could do better yeah star wars be more like better call saul that's what we're saying if if that's possible um but uh yes let's get back to the subject of this uh what got us off on that tangent we were talking about uh, visuals and effects it was your fault you're talking about darkness and tv shows right it was my fault everything about this (laughs) is my fault fault. just like that you're the one that brought up star wars what am I not going to bring up Star Wars on a podcast? <laughs> yeah, right. But yes, there's no murkiness. There's no none of that sense of losing the the detail in the darkness in that some of the stuff in this episode. Yeah. But I mean, every scene, like the the apartment is dark. The uh, outside of Gus's place, inside of Gus's place, these were dark. This was I didn't a dark think about episode. That. The whole episode took place over the course of like one, one night. One night, yeah. That's crazy. And and I think I read somewhere where the the Gordon Smith who wrote the episode said that wasn't even really planned, but he found that when he was writing it, it was like no, there's too much, mm-hmm. there's too much tension to wring out of this back and forth. And you know, I'd heard so much about what a nail biting episode this was. When when this show, when someone says it, you're like, okay, whatever. The show's always that way. But this really was like, oh my god, a focal point. And I think so many things reached their climax in this episode. I said to, to Nikki, it's like. Um, this feels like almost more like a final episode than there's five more, even though we know there's so much more rich stuff to deal with. What's going to happen? Yeah. I don't, and the answer is always so many fucking things <laughs> that I haven't even fathomed up. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about that in a minute. Right now, let's talk about all the stuff that did reach fruition in this episode. One is, I feel like, and I'm not trying, I'll knock on wood because I'm not trying to jinx us, but I feel like last night was the apex, the climax of the, is Kim going to die 
part of our worry. I feel like after this, we're much more worried about the emotional collateral damage yeah, sure. than we are about her. Like this was the apex of, oh, Kim's going to die. When she decided she wasn't going to skip town um, and she was actually going to go to Gus's place, you know, because she's mm. she's she's built of that sterner stuff and she's not going to leave, which is clearly the chance. Jimmy's trying to give her a chance to flee. Yeah. You could, you could almost read him as being cowardly, but you can tell he's basically saying to that. her. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I, but I've heard people say they thought that I knew Jimmy would not do that, but I also thought it was a great moment still when he, that little look he gives her where he kind of says, just go without saying it. He's mm-hmm. just like, D- do this. Cause he is thinking very rightfully. Okay. If, some, even if someone goes and pulls off whatever Lalo's making them do, he's not going to be like, hey, well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. And let you go. <laughs> so uh, I think that that idea of letting her go on the mission so that he would be the one who was in Lalo's clutches was like a nice little, it was really the only move Jimmy gets to make in this whole episode. Uh, and it was nice to see him, you know, it's always nice to see them kind of look out for each other like that. And I, I love that Kim recognized it because I feel like in a less good show, that would now be a point of contention with them where mm-hmm. she would be like, why did you send me to go murder yeah, someone? That's me. But Kim said to Gus, he he sent me to get me out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she she knew. Yeah. Um, but you could see in a, a less good show where that would just end up being some stupid plot point. Yeah. And yeah, he'd say, I did it to save you. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> but they don't even have to have he, that tedious argument. Say, they're they're so on the same page all the time. Yeah. They don't need to manufacture drama in the yeah. show because it just like seeps out of every <laughs> yeah. fucking pore of everything. Is it like you said at one point when we were watching, like, I don't know, you were like, I don't know why I'm so stressed. I know exactly who lives. Yeah. Like, I know the people aren't going to die who look like they're about to die, but it's still, I don't know why this show is so successful. Like, I know, (laughs) yeah, three people who are going to survive this. Yeah. Yeah. One person that might die, I hope dies. So, yeah, the fact that they can still create so much tension with the knowledge that we have from watching Breaking Bad Mm -hmm. is incredible. Well, I mean, even beyond that, I think they know that part of the fan response to this show has been, don't you dare kill, kill Kim. Yeah. Like, don't you yeah. dare hurt a hair People on, her, say that for on her pretty little head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't let anything bad happen to her. And we know, though, that she's the kind of person who, yeah, isn't going to flee to safety, who is going to put herself in this immense danger of going to Gus Fring's fucking door with a gun out. Like, how does that not go badly for you, except for the fact that we know Mike, that Mike well, knows yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. We were like, oh my God, I hope Mike sees her. <laughs> They've got so many cameras, he has to see her, I right? love that Gus has a double also. Like, they yeah. didn't even address that other than the fact that the guy was standing there. <laughs> yeah. But like, obviously- That was a great that little guy... laugh for me when she says that guy, because <laughs> yeah. she doesn't know. Yeah. yeah. Kim doesn't know anything about any of this except for Mike. Yeah. I was wondering that when she was on her way over there. And that was such a great tension breaker, too. Yeah. Because I feel like at that point, everyone stopped breathing. Also, you were saying, you were asking this, and I, I... I don't think he has, but like Jimmy hasn't met Gus yet, right? Mike sent Jimmy over to Los Poyos Hermanos to do some reconnaissance for him. So Jimmy and Gus did have a little interaction, but they didn't really come to understand each other's nature. So Jimmy still really doesn't know Gus. He doesn't know him, but he might know. You know what I mean? He might know who he is. He might know who he is, roughly. But he wouldn't... He wouldn't know the story of yeah. it or, or or really any reason to think this guy's associated with this, <laughs> this world. And he's not working with him yet, but he will be very soon. 
Right. And that's the thing, too, is you kind of see where that could be beginning. Like, we, we don't have that yet, that relationship between Gus and Jimmy that seems like it surely could grow out of the situation that we were left with. Well, yeah, I guess it, it I it's interesting because, like, I guess this is a situation that it could come out of, like, yeah. now that Jimmy has become embroiled in the death of Lalo, Gus m- might be like, might as well, like, employ this guy. Well, I mean, like, it's a question of trust, maybe, with Gus. Mm-hmm. And I've said before about, like, why would Jimmy be trusted by, like, at the end of the last batch of episodes, I think with the two of you, we talked about, like, why would Jimmy be trusted by Gus ever if he's associated with Lalo in Gus's mind? But this episode answers that question. Mm-hmm. Jimmy never does anything as a favor for Lalo or, like, Lalo's plan wasn't to use them in some way that then puts them against Gus outside of this very dramatic single instance that Gus is able to say, well, these people really didn't have any problem with me. They're not really a threat. I'm sure Mike is telling Gus, they're not going to be a problem. You know what I mean? Because so much of what he said to them was like giving them advice on how not to be (laughs) a problem. He he looked like he had absolutely no faith in them. (laughs) (laughs) That last he left. Yeah. He just looked like, oh, fuck. (laughs) You guys are going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This just got so much more complicated for everybody. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, What was that? What is the thing he said to Gus, like, how did you feel tonight went? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he felt like he was in dad mode. He yeah. was just like, I'm disappointed in you. Yeah. Next time, call me. Yeah. Well, and, and we'll get to all that stuff as we go along and talk about the characters. But I do want to talk. We, you were talking, Becca, about the um, the moment when Kim is talking to Gus, like, after she gets there and she is tells him, you know, Jimmy got me out of there and everything. Um that is a moment that tells Gus that something is fishy. And I was like, well, what is it that's fishy about that to Gus when he finds out that they talked Lalo out of sending one of them for the mm. other? And I don't think it had to do with which one of them got sent. I think that's just setting Gus thinking, mm-hmm. oh, all Lalo cares about is that something happens over here. Yes. Well, yeah, exactly. He, he didn't mind sending this completely inexperienced person. He doesn't know who Jimmy is or why Gus tried to send him. But hearing that Lalo was able to be have his mind changed at all about what he was doing lets Gus realize, oh, there's more going on here than what seems like it was supposed to happen. This assassination attempt was not really the point. A hundred percent. Yeah, because even if Jimmy showed up and said, Lalo sent me and I don't want to shoot you, um, Gus would be suspicious, but even he he's even more suspicious to hear that Lalo could be talked out of anything because obviously right. he is not the kind of person that can be talked out of anything. Right, and that if the plan was to kill him, at his house, it wouldn't be like, hey, does anybody here want to go kill Gus? You know, <laughs> yeah. it would be like, just show up a with a revolver right. yeah. at his yeah, front cause, door. Because I'm like, sure he'll he's, answer he's the front door. He's going to answer the right. fucking door. Yeah. <laughs> so if that moment does resolve the idea of what is the immediate mortal danger to Kim, uh, another thing that I think reached a, a, a climax in this episode, and it's something I've practically talked about on every episode of this podcast, is the moment where Jimmy... In, in Breaking Bad, where Saul is taken out to the desert by Walt and Jesse, and and he says, who sent you? Was it Lalo? Uh, it wasn't yeah. me. It was Ignacio. We get like a different version of that, like an inverted version of that moment I of Lalo in this episode telling Jimmy what was going on, and then it was Ignacio Varga. And Jimmy's like, Ignacio? Ignacio? Nacho? Like, it's this great moment of Jimmy going like, I know who that is, but I still don't know what the hell is he, what's going on here? When he literally like, says. Yeah, he, he, 
Yeah, he says it wasn't me, it was Ignacio. And we were just like, he said the thing! (laughs) He said the thing. It was an exciting moment. Yeah. (laughs) What that tells you, too, is that, okay, now the show's like letting you know they are getting close to, I mean, I don't know if or when there will be a time jump, but it seems Mm -hmm. like there has to be some kind of a time jump because, I don't know, I think we might still be a year or so away from the events of Breaking Bad, Mm -hmm. but... What that tells me is that either every time Jimmy's in danger, he thinks it's Lalo coming to get him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or or the next, that's the next time he's in that situation. You know what I mean? That yeah. like whatever happens to Jimmy or Saul thing. in between those two moments, it mm. nothing is as extreme as that. That like Lalo's tying him to a chair and or zip tying him to a chair and gagging him. That's horrifying. Okay, he's been taken out to the desert at gunpoint. You sort of when you meet Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad, it almost seems like this might be something that happens to this guy every week. <laughs> yeah. But I think now we know that's not the case, you know? So I think that's an interesting notion that got me towards that idea of, oh, if there is going to be a time jump, now we are equipped to say, you know, the next time Jimmy is in that kind of danger, the, the first thought he has is, oh, I know who it is. It's it, it, Please tell me it's not Lalo. The other thing is the way this episode ends, it's almost a little bit of a cheat that Mike doesn't say. He's dead and buried in the super lab. I was just going to say that, yeah. He just says he's not coming back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But then it occurs to me... Jimmy already thought this guy was dead and he came back. So maybe telling him that he's dead, Mike knows this is not really going to have any value. But me saying he's not coming is is a promise, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying he's dead. But that did feel a little bit like the writers being being a little a little coy to make that work, to make it work that Jimmy might still think that Lala was out there. But what did you, the two of you think of that moment? And did you get, it sounds like you did, you got little goosebumps like mm-hmm. I did from from the notion that we were hearing Jimmy say something very close to that scene in, in, in uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, it was really interesting to see it tie in so directly with, with the same line. Yeah. Um, and it was almost frustrating to see Mike tell him, um, you know, he Lalo's not coming. The less said, you know, it was frustrating for him to just assume that Jimmy's going to be savvy enough to know what that means and not just literally <laughs> right. tell him because obviously it doesn't really sink in. But then also, like you said, Jimmy has basically seen him come back from the grave anyway. I mean, maybe Mike doesn't want Jimmy putting the two and two together and saying to the law at some point, I think it was Mike. Ermin Trout and Gus Fring who killed this guy. You know what I mean? Maybe he just doesn't, maybe the, the kind of what you were saying about the less said the better, but like maybe the less details Jimmy and Kim have, the less they can spill, you yeah. know, about, about this situation. It's hard to remember like their level of trust with each other is not really there yet. It Like mm-hmm. it's not what we see in Breaking Bad and we don't yeah. know what Mike's trust level with Kim is going to get to be for the rest of the season. Right. Yeah. And I, I thought the same thing towards the end of the episode of like, not that it was a cop out, but like you were saying, like maybe the writers are being a little coy by having him not say Lalo's dead, but say he like he's not coming back. But I think that like Mike has Mike is such a well uh, drawn character at this point, and like we know him from Breaking Bad, we know him from Better Call Saul. Like he's such a well drawn three dimensional character that like I don't have any problems thinking. Like, that's just the way he would handle the situation. Like, you've, like you're saying, yeah. like, the less of the better. Like, he only gives he only gives people the information they need. Like, he's not going to sit down and, like, tell them what happened. He's just going to be like, don't worry about it. Here's what you need to know. Like, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to know. That's what he does literally all the time is just tell people, like, the facts that they need for that situation <laughs> that he can control. Yeah. 
if if he used to be like a detective or whatever, like he would be used to like only giving people the information they need so he can figure everything out. Like he would be the one who wants to know everything and like he decides you to parse it out too. Exactly. Right. And well, he was a cop, but he was a corrupt cop. So it's like that he was even more cagey maybe with everything <laughs> yeah. that ever happened. Um I thought this was a great Mike episode. We're kind of getting at that. There was a lot of Mike like you said, yeah. dad mode, Mike, coming in and like telling everybody what's what. <laughs> he clearly wants to keep them alive or help them out in some way because he sees them as kind of babes in the woods in this world. But he also, like you said, Beckett, there's a certain level of like, oh God, these people, like, you know. And he said that brutal thing to them. This is kind of what you guys had planned for this guy anyway, Ooh. right? Uh, yeah. A lot that of whole this, scene oh was incredible on everyone's part. Like... Kim just fucking vacant and Jimmy constantly looking to Kim and Mike reminding them this is the narrative you set up. So just stick to it, which is just like a constant turn of the knife every time he says it. Like keep telling the lie you were already telling or whatever he says, you know. I was really bummed he know, when And he, he knows that he's doing that, too. Speaking of dad mode, he knows his <laughs> yeah. words are landing, you know? <laughs> I was yeah, really which is an extra layer of, like, this is, like, you are kind of why this fucking happened. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you really need to carry that with you to button it up. I was bummed when he, like, I, I don't know if it was on purpose, but just how it happened when he opened the door to leave. And it was the exact moment that Jimmy was able to look <laughs> out the door and see them putting Howard's, like, limbs into the yes. fridge like oh that's rough like i don't think mike could have planned that but it I'm, was a great it, it just shot like yeah it was show's perspective. yeah it was an amazing shot it was brutal for jimmy well and also like the fact that jimmy had to lie there taped the or, uh, zip tied to yeah. the chair inches away from howard for who knows how long well, uh, I love that they did the thing of rocking back and forth in the chair and then nothing happening. You didn't break the chair. You didn't yeah. break, all, you all didn't break the zip tie. And, yeah. Now you're like in, laying like two inches from a puddle now of blood. Now you're so you know? much worse. <laughs> it really like this whole episode also for as much happened in this episode. Uh, it also was a really great just like reminder of how shitty Howard's end is like from the beginning. Ah, Howard's end. Of uh <laughs> from the beginning from the very beginning of just like seeing the shoes and then the car and like slowly realizing what we were watching like oh this is how they this is how they covered it up and this is how they made it seem but so, you still have no idea what the mechanics of getting to that moment no. is as, as beautiful yeah. as that moment was but it reminded me so much of the Lalo uh, not Lalo the Nacho episode that began with that moment where you're oh, just yeah. seeing a part of the desert with like this flower blooming and you don't know what you don't know what you're seeing or why you're seeing it, but as you get to the point later and you realize, oh, we were looking at the place where Nacho's going to die. Um, well, and it, at the beginning of this episode, when we realized that was Howard's car, I said, I wonder where his body really is. Uh, yeah. And now we know. Oh, my God. And yeah. Under the so meth like, lab. The, the car Buried thing. with Lalo. With Lalo, with Lalo. which Lalo. is fucking oh, so excruciating. This, and you could tell that Mike didn't like that. I, I love yeah. this disgust Mike was feeling with, yeah. maybe even with himself for being, you know, fallen from what he used to be to this. But that moment, like, I love the way that they throw Lalo's body in. And then when they pick up Howard's body, he's like, take it easy. Like, yeah. He, he even he recognizes this man didn't deserve like this guy was not it's, part of yeah, this yeah he does not deserve to be tossed into a fucking ditch it's crazy under a meth lab that like uh howard's not alive at all this episode but like the actor who plays him it holds such a heavy he presence played a good dead guy through the whole episode mm-hmm. and like they they use his dead body to really good like uh dramatic horror. effect really yeah. horror and just like 
really stretching out, like, to show you as the audience, like, look how shitty this is. Like, look, like, you already know how shitty yeah. this is, but, like, you're really going to understand or, like, remember how shitty it is by the end of the episode. Yeah, 100%. Every time we show you, like, what they did with his body afterwards and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it was such a bummer. Because <laughs> we see, as an audience, a lot of death on the show. Yeah. But Jimmy and Kim don't actually see that as characters. Yeah. So it, I didn't realize until it was happening how important it was for them to feel that impact. Mm-hmm. Because we as audience members can be like, Howard was another casualty on this show where we've seen a lot of beloved and not beloved characters die. But they have not experienced that and we're, we're seeing them as real people experiencing yeah. it. Yeah. And they it feels kind of relentless because of how much time we spend in that apartment with the dead body and <laughs> yeah. we, we just see how he's abused. I mean, even if they gently lower him into a ditch under a meth lab, it's still <laughs> yeah. horrible. Still... We still see them load him into a refrigerator and oh, it has a huge impact which I feel like helps us relate more to the characters feeling that impact. Mhm. Even the way Mike explains that, he says, uh, you're getting a new fridge. Yeah. Oh, my God. I assume stainless is okay. It's like, I love, dude. I love how good Mike so, is at his too job cool. and how devoid of joy he is. Like, yeah. he takes no pleasure in anything that he does. And it's like he's mad at how good he is at doing it. And let's not forget, he has this incredibly tragic end too. Uh, he's doing all this oh my God, yeah. for his for his his granddaughter, and he's not able to get any of that money to her in the end. Uh, his go bag, his money that like no, nothing he tried to set up for his his daughter in law and his granddaughter works. I think I you know? yeah, I think I feel I feel like I mentioned it before when we talked about it, but just like if if anything, this show makes him more tragic, more yeah. of a tragic character yeah. because you know so much more about him, and you know how he ends, and how he ends is so bad like it's just such a like shitty quick random end to like a character's life at the hands of just like just this some dumb asshole walter white like yeah who even like after he shoots him says oh shit i could ask lydia for the list oh my god i didn't need to i'm sorry yeah (laughs) it's just so like i I mean i know it it was you know to serve his care like walter white's character because that was the point of breaking bad and showing how much he could be corrupted and it was well done it's just like it's it's extra painful now (laughs) like what thinking about it like oh god well, Walt isn't above doing really stupid things, but I did hear Vince Gilligan say there there have been three geniuses on these shows, Walt, Gus, and Lalo. Mm-hmm. And we see how they all die. Like, they yeah. all could, but in each one of those situations, they all could have had, like, Lalo could have just had a little bit more luck in the dark, and he would be the one standing at the end of that. Yeah. Gus could have known what was going on with Walt's plan and not, you know what I mean? Like, th- th- that game of chess that's been going on between these characters mm-hmm. is... It's it's really it's I don't know it's part of the fun and it makes you it's not like you're rooting really for anybody when it's Gus versus Lalo but you know that Lalo's vulnerable in that moment and Gus is not because we know Gus is around later so that and that would be something that I do think if you were you know an astute watcher of this show you definitely remember the scene a few episodes back where Gus secrets the gun mm-hmm. down in the super lab so I mean I'm torn between thinking this is expertly crafted like Hitchcockian tension of you see the bomb under the table and you're waiting for it to go off. Or 
Was that a little too easy? Did they think maybe we were gonna forget? Because once you realize they're going down to the super lab, it becomes almost all too apparent how this is probably gonna go. So much so that I was hoping Lalo would, this wouldn't be the final moment because I could see it coming. But then when it happened, it had that Breaking Bad slash Better Call Saul inevitability of, oh, they just did exactly what it seemed like they were gonna do and they still freaked me out because <laughs> it happened in the dark yeah. and it was lit only by the you know the, the gun muzzle flares in the dark. He still got shot and, a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and when you talked about the, the camera, I, I, I put it together right before it happened. It's like, oh, we're that camera light being the only light in this room is gonna be significant. I, th I thought that's gonna be how we see Gus sees where Lalo is. I thought we were gonna see when Lalo kept turning around to shoot himself, uh -huh. I thought we were going to see him doing that and then turn the camera around and then Gus shot him. Uh, yeah. But that didn't happen. Like Jonathan mentioned, when you do see the camera light, it's a signal that Lalo has fallen because the camera mm -hmm. is on the ground. That's like part of how you know that what Gus tried to do worked is that, you know, after those guns went off. But that was very like... I don't know, one guy's wearing a bulletproof vest and the other one's not. Like, you see the differences between the two men in this moment. Well, and like for all, uh, you know, like you said, Lalo is you know, like this weird genius, like this evil genius for all of his planning. And it's the same thing with Gus later. It's like for all of his planning, he never would have expected there to be a random gun hidden down there, like on an excavator. Like, yeah, he thinks he's got the upper hand on Gus, not knowing that Gus is so goddamn paranoid. He would have hidden like a random gun in some place. Yeah. And he's so prideful that he's like, all right, I'll give you a minute to do uh, your villain speech yeah. after my long fucking villain speech. This is funny. Yeah. And just lets him buy time. Right. And he does think it's a little funny. And I heard the actor ask, he was asked about that. Like, why would Lalo give Gus such a chance to stall? Actually, I don't know if it was the actor or if it was, if it was uh, like Vince Gilligan or it was one of, one of the people involved in this episode who said that, don't forget, uh, um, in terms of the Don Eladio, they're mm -hmm. both of their boss. Yeah. Gus is an earner. You don't kill an earner. So as as Gus goes on his little rant and insults Don Eladio, all he's doing in, in Lalo's mind is like, well, now you're helping me out. Like the pr when I show him this tape, I'm not going to get in trouble for killing you now. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not just that you were going to do this super lab thing. Maybe that wouldn't even have been enough. Maybe maybe Lalo would have been killed. We don't know what Don Eladio would have done. I know one thing he would have done is fast forward to the end of that fucking tape because <laughs> he was talking for so long. I was like, this is like the world's longest voicemail that you're just like, get to the end. Yeah. What do I need to know? But I think that we're all supposed to be thinking that too. We're all supposed to be thinking like, the, again, it's the it's the bomb under the table. We know the gun is that we can see Gus is getting ready to cut the power. So you're you're really wondering, is this really going to be the end of Lalo? And it was. And so whether that was a little too easy or too predictable or not, I think that that horror feeling that we're left with that we've been talking about, the way that Lalo's death is right out of just hell. I don't know what, the way it was shot, his eyes looked so black. The blood that was coming out of his mouth looked so black. He's like there was laughing. So, and I love that There was like so much gore in, in, his, blood. Yeah. in his neck area. Well, did you notice he had that last, yeah. like right when he died and went still, there was this last little surge of blood out of his mouth yeah. that just was so like, oh, that was him. That was, that was, that was the death. Well, you know? and I was seriously waiting for his body to just jump up again. Like, <laughs> yeah. a fucking horror movie. <laughs> I, I had a thought because um, we just watched this episode like before we we uh, yeah. recorded this. So, like as I was thinking about it, I I don't I I don't know how intentional it is, and I feel like it has to be somewhat intentional because I, <laughs> like everything on the show is hyper intentional. But I'm just like I was thinking back to 
the nacho the episode where nacho dies and how this is like a weird mirror image of that episode mm-hmm. because in the episode where nacho dies that's another character where you know he doesn't exist in breaking bad so like the obvious conclusion is that he's dead but you don't know how he dies so the whole episode is like is is this the end to nacho and at the end of that episode you get that great scene where nacho gets to like he's got his big fuck he's you got speech. his big fuck you speech and then kills himself and in this episode gus has a big fuck you speech but then kills lalo and right. it's a i feel like it's a fun reversal of exactly what we watched earlier in the season but still very different and like, what do we get out of that moment? We get Gus ascendant. We get Gus. We get maximum Gus. We and get it's only Gus. Good Gus. You know, well, we get the Gus that we that meet tape. in Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Gus who is who is on top, and yeah. and and his game is tight. And even when his conversation with Mike, where Mike is reprimanding him, saying this could have gone a different way, man. Like, don't ever do that again. And Gus says it could have. <laughs> and that's just like shit, man. I'm not gonna mess with you. It's like yeah. I, I get it. Like you're basically in control and back on top after this little moment of insecurity about Lalo that he was experiencing. Like this was a this was a more vulnerable Gus that we got this season. Mm-hmm. Like him going around trying to decide where to conceal his gun, you know, all the mechanics they're going through. So I think this is like if we've been waiting for when some of these characters reach their breaking bad aspects. Like I feel like Mike and Gus at the end of this one are very much like they were on Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like there's this immense trust. Mike's the only guy that can talk to Gus a certain way. Gus is the only guy that Mike will take talking to him in a certain way. I don't know. There's a certain, like, that respect between the two of them has been forged by this. And now that Lalo's gone, you can see the way through to, like, whatever they do with Walt and Jesse appearing in the season, which is something we know is going to happen. Whatever character Carol Burnett is supposed to play, all we know is her name is Marion, but they announced that. I keep wondering, is she going to be like Howard's (laughs) mom or something like that? Something that we don't quite expect. But I feel like we don't really know. Like, we've got five episodes now of really interesting territory that we don't really know. I mean, we know we're going to be brought, we we have reason to expect we're going to get a, a, a chunk of gene time. We're going to get some kind of aftermath stuff, but we don't really know what what's going to happen now, but I can totally see the, the, like the fuse is lit on that whole, what happens between Jimmy and Kim. This season has been so full of like, well, Kim's just as into this crookedness as Jimmy. How are they really going to split over this? But if he's willing to pick it up the next day or even the next week or the next month and 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 go forward and she can't, that's going to make her feel very strangely towards him. You know what I mean? That he's able to turn this part of himself off or he's able to, um, what's the psychological term? Uh, compartmentalize. Compart- compartmentalize, yeah. That well, he's he able does, to like, do that. He does all the time. Like even when he was telling... Lalo to take Kim instead, he was just like, he just turned that mode on and was just like being Saul Goodman. Well, and I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking and how that entire episode, basically, he was laying tied to a chair face to face with dead Howard. Yeah. You would think any person would lose their entire fucking mind. Um, But then when Kim shows up, he's in like protect and look after Kim mode. Yeah. And Kim is just like vacant stare of like dissociating. Yeah. And, yeah. Like all all of the panic. Um, but Jimmy is able to mentally bounce back from it a lot faster than a, a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Kim Kim you can easily see her um 
having an issue with him being able to bounce back so fast and she can't really do it. Yeah. Especially if he's bouncing back into this Saul Goodman role, if he becomes increasingly like flashy and, and like emotionally blase. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he definitely does. Helping all the fucking like, criminals mm -hmm. and end with the guilt on her mind of she's the one that pushed forward the Howard plan. If it was, if it was a different story of Jimmy being the one to push it, it would be, I think she would have been gone a while ago. Yeah. But the yeah. fact right. that she was the one that pushed it and then this is what happened, I think that that is what's going to build the wall up with her yeah, and tear her apart from him, is like her, her own guilt and what she has to deal with. And the fact that she brought a lot of it on. Um, and then for Jimmy to just go right back and try to do status quo again, I don't think it's going to work for her. Well, what if everything that was going to work out for her does now? Like, what if the Clifford Main thing still works? What if she's able to get all that funding and all this stuff is like, here you go, Kim, and she just can't do it. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, Jimmy is, like you said, he's like, Playing the role, like, like he's like building his office with like the gold pillars and everything. Hey, we dodged a yeah. bullet, but I mean, his if, if, if like I don't know how long it takes him to get to that point where he can be glib, but if he is and she's not, I mean, I'm not saying that this necessarily means oh, she's running home and then he's gonna catch. I mean, like all the pieces are in place though for that ending of the show where she leaves and maybe goes back home, uh, and and which is a sign of defeat for her. I don't think there's any good reason that Kim would ever go back home. Yeah. But I do think the idea of them being geographically close in those Gene portions of the story is tantalizing, um, especially knowing that the last time we saw Gene, he had a plan for how to get himself out of the fix he's in in the future, which is that someone has recognized him. A cab driver recognizes Saul Goodman and catches him at, on his lunch break in the mall and makes him say, better call Saul. Uh, and that's enough for, for Jimmy or Gene to say, okay, I gotta, you know, O Omaha's burned. <laughs> I got to do something, but he says, no, I'm going to fix it. I've got a plan. So who knows what that means? Who knows how much time we're going to have to see that? I feel like we might get a, another episode of like direct aftermath, like almost like what's happening the next day. But I could almost see midway into the next episode a time jump. I mean, I don't know when mm -hmm. it might happen, but I do think at some point there's going to be some shot that cuts from Jimmy now to like a slightly more dead Saul Goodman sitting in his office or something like yeah. that because because they have to there has to be some something has to be created that's not just career fallout for Kim or whatever that that's tension they're not yeah. going to do five episodes of lawyer stuff yeah um, but I don't know do you have any thoughts about that about what the story is going to do like how much more we're getting of of the current timeline of Albuquerque how much Breaking Bad stuff we're going to get do you have any feelings or even hopes. What do you I want to no see? <laughs> I, I want to see Nacho rise from the grave. <laughs> no, I I know nothing. Um, yeah, I, I felt the same as you where I was surprised to have guessed how the end of this episode would turn out with the hidden gun. And um, I feel like that was the one time I was ever right about what was going to happen <laughs> on this show. And now I just don't know. Yeah. Right. But because most of the stuff that we were setting up has, like, the tension is released a little bit on all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, well, that was the bad guy. Yeah. And now, yeah. Uh, you know, we have Jimmy and Kim's relationship to work out. But other than that, I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. The only thing I just thought of, and I feel like I can't believe I hadn't thought of this before, but if, <laughs> what I want to know is, uh, are Jimmy and Kim still married? 
like in the future? Like, do oh. they get a divorce? Because they're married. Well, yeah. So like the whole time he saw Goodman, is he married to Kim Wexler? I think people have reason that Kim is one of his ex-wives that he refers to but, on Breaking Bad oh, just because okay. the but numbers. What, how does he up. talk about his ex-wives? Because could that have just been a thing he made like, up? Like just a Saul thing. I mean, that's the uh, that's the thing with any, like with Saul, that's, we don't know until we see it. Yeah. He makes a lot he of just, shit up. Well, he, yeah, <laughs> especially when he's Saul on Breaking Bad, he just seems like so slimy that right. it, it, it's hard to take anything he says as truth. Yeah. But either way, yeah, like right now it's the fate of their relationship that's the real dangling thread until we get to just the mechanics of whatever plot they're going into in the final, like we know whatever the final episode is going to be or final, you know, whatever that final arc is going to be, mm-hmm. they're going to have to build up to something. But we we don't really know where the where the presumable life and death tension is going to come from until we're in that gene timeline where now Saul is vulnerable too. Like everybody's vulnerable once you're in the, in that part. Yeah. Um, but we know how Mike dies. We know how Gus dies. Well, yeah. See, we <laughs> can know? stop worrying about how is Saul going to die. And now we have to worry about Gene. Cause yeah. we don't yeah. fucking know what's going to happen with Gene. So I'll definitely be having the two of you back on, uh, at some point in this final batch of episodes, if not a couple times. But until then, where can people find you on, on the internet? You want me to speak for you? No. Uh, let's see if I can do it. Oh, yeah. Cactusrodeo.com. Hell yeah. I think all of all of our stuff's there. Podcast, Pop Suck It. Yeah. That's what we've got. It's all at cactusrodeo.com. You nailed it! Look up Cactus Rodeo on Facebook. Uh, follow us there. Uh, follow Pop Socket Theater on Instagram. We're getting back into it slowly. I just finished um, the last of the puppets, and I'm about to. Yeah, when um, you say Pop Socket Theater, you're talking about a, a a web series about sock puppets. I'm talking about that our sock correct. puppet show, and uh, all three that had of a us. season. How many years ago did the first season Puck come out? You, um, <laughs> rude. Oh, God, how long have you been dragging your feet on six, the second six season? Years ago. <laughs> six years ago. Was it before? Okay, it was after we got married. It came out. 2016 was the first season um and there's a second season that is like more elaborate long and much gestating. more each episode is epic twice as long last yeah. season yeah i wrote an episode and i remember when we yes. did the reading of the scripts it's a really fun season of the it's show it. i mean if people yeah. if people watch pop suck at theater and they like it i think it's one of those things where the second season is really like paying off the potential of what gets set up not that the first season doesn't tell its own story it's just that Every episode is more elaborate than the last in the second season. I think that's a really fun aspect. I'm excited for it to be done for sure. I think it's I think it's better than the first season from what we have. It's we've done a lot of work already. There's a lot of work left to do. Um, I'm working on a production diary. <laughs> that's like the first one I've made in two years. You know, the pandemic was really hard on everybody. Um, yes. But yeah, check out Pop Second. If you haven't watched Pop Second Theater, go watch Pop Second Theater. It's on YouTube and Vimeo and popsuckettheater.com and cactusradio.com, whatever. Just go listen to our shit and watch our shit and like our shit. <laughs> it's an order. Do it. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't have a sign off. So let's just say goodbye. Bye. 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 outside really really fast because it looks what? like there's a crazy sunset Whoa. so i'll be right back okay. after i take a picture of the sunset stay here no i want to see Don't that be rude to john. john hang on there's a there's aliens outside i, I see guess. the red light coming in my windows it's a spielberg shot <laughs> Thank you.
For more episodes of Soul Searching and other shows like it, look for FYIZ wherever you get your podcasts.